0: Hello and welcome to another episode on the New Books Network. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Miranda Melcher, and I'm very pleased to have with me today the author of a fascinating book titled Passionate Mothers, Powerful Sons, published by Simon Schuster in 2023. This book looks at the mothers of Winston Churchill and Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Now, we are probably going to talk about those two famous men, but the book very much focuses on the women, Sarah Delano and Jenny Jerome, to really paint a fascinating double biography of these two women who had really quite... I don't even know how to put it into words. They they seem to do everything in their lives and be everywhere, do all sorts of things. It's really quite a fascinating book. Um, And we have with us today the author, Dr. Charlotte Gray. Charlotte, thank you so much for being with us on the podcast.
1: It's my pleasure, Miranda.
0: Before we dive into your masterful book, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit to our audience and explaining how you came to write this?
1: Of course, um, I am a full-time nonfiction writer, but I'm also a um, professor at Carlton University, an adjunct there. I have lived uh, half my life in the UK and half in Canada, and in Canada, I made have made my career as um, a magazine writer, political commentator, and I'm the author of 12 books of biography and history. And I decided to write this book because I have written a lot about women in history. And I was stunned when I started looking at um, Churchill and Roosevelt on a project that, in fact, their mothers had been born within 100 kilometers of each other in uh, 1854, the same year, and into the same kind of one percenter society, into very wealthy families. So these two women were born into a class of society that had where they had the same kind of assumptions about what women's roles should be as uh, daughters, uh, young women, wives, mothers. Um, fairly restrictive by our standards, but I've learned that actually those we can be rather patronizing about women sort of pre, suffrage, and we can sort of assume that they must have been so depressed about the restrictions on their lives. What I've discovered in the past has been that actually they had a remarkable degree of agency in their lives and had interesting and interesting choices. And with these two women, what particularly attracted me was that, first of all, they um, the coincidence of their births, and then the fact they went in such different directions and were so different themselves. And secondly, that the Biographers of their sons, two men who helped shape the modern world we live in today, the biographers of their sons have really been quite disparaging about them and um, shoehorned them into rather unfortunate stereotypes, which I think are unjustified.
0: Very good reason to write about them. Um, And I think that also kind of answers the question of why write about them together? Well, the comparison, I think, as you've already highlighted, is absolutely fascinating, pretty much from the beginning through to the end. And I think I am probably going to go in that traditional chronological sort of order um, in asking you to tell us a bit about them, starting obviously at the beginning. And one thing I appreciated in the book is um, you do start from the beginning of their lives, but you don't sort of assume that they kind of come out of the womb and that's it, it all begins kind of from there. You also look at well, but what are their parents like? What's their parents' relationship like? What might they have learned from being around them? So given that they started in a similar place but took such different paths as um, they grew up, can we see any of that divergence as early on as what they might have learned from their parents or were they learning perhaps some of the same kinds of lessons at this stage?
1: In the early years, they were implicitly and expl- explicitly learning quite interesting lessons. Explicitly, they were learning that um, their expectations should be to be <coughs> um, beautiful young women, always sort of attractive to the male gut gaze, to marry well, and then to carry on the genetic lines of their husbands. Sort of pretty standard upper-class expectations for women in the mid-19th century. Certainly no great professional uh, ambitions or anything that might involve them in a public role. <clears throat> but implicitly, they were learning something else. Both women had came from very traditional families where the father was the breadwinner and the mother was uh, the carer at home. But the mothers, although they deferred to their husbands, in fact, were very original in their own choices. So Jenny Jerome, for instance, her mother was a woman, Clara, who had married this real freebooter. He was an amazing guy, Jenny's father, who was known as the king of Wall Street. But he was an entrepreneur, an insider trader. He lurched from making a million to losing it. And her mother, very quietly left her husband to his flashy life in New York and took her daughters, she had three daughters, Jenny was the middle one, off to Paris um, because she knew that um, otherwise Leonard Jerome's rather flashy reputation would uh, stigmatize the girls. And in Paris, the girls learned the wonderful ways of Parisian women, including dressing very well <clears throat> and flirting. So it was the mother who actually shaped Jenny's childhood rather than the father who was in fact occupies a lot of space in any account of Jenny. Similarly with Sarah Delano who became Sarah Roosevelt she was born into an even more established family than the Jeromes very very wealthy and it seemed that she would live her whole life in this sort of aristocratic enclave in the Hudson Valley But her father, although he came from wealth and um, seemed to be sort of Mr. Solid, Mr. Um, deeply Conventional, uh, he lost a fortune in one of the periodic depressions of the uh, mid-19th century. And so he, his fortune had actually come from the China trade, which was trading tea, silk and opium, the fentanyl of its day. And he... Took his whole family off to Hong Kong, where Sarah's mother had to deal with um, a totally strange world. She had a lot of children. Uh, obviously, she had servants, but she crossed the halfway round the world by herself with her her children to to uh, unite with her husband, and then after he had remade his fortune successfully, they lived in Europe for a time. So both girls had quite exotic um, childhoods. But even by the time they were 13, 14, it was obvious that in personality, they were very different. Jenny was a gregarious extrovert. She loved testing the um, limits on her behavior. She was also a brilliant musician. She practiced daily. She was concert standard pianist, <clears throat> and um, she uh, outraged her parents frequently. Sarah was much more conventional and dutiful, but equally bright, uh, read widely. Both girls learned to speak French fluently. and In fact, Sarah Delano Roosevelt was trilingual. She also went to school in Germany and learnt German. So these were talented young women from similar backgrounds who'd established their different personalities. And it was obvious that their lives would be very different.
0: And in fact, one of the differences is, um, again, if we're thinking sort of traditionally how we might think of women in that time, the idea of kind of being presented to society um, is seen as a huge marker in progress toward adulthood. And despite the fact that, as you said, they were born so close together, they both had in many ways kind of similarly international um, family, etc. they were not accepted at all in the same way by Manhattan society. Why not?
1: It's the difference between old money and new money. Sarah Delano, <clears throat> her family, you know, she had ancestors who'd come over on the Mayflower, which was sort of a, a good as a duke as good as a dukedom within the very stratified, rather snobbish Manhattan society. And um, her father belonged to all the right clubs, knew all the, what was known as the Knickerbocker Society leaders, who were the old Dutch families who'd been in Manhattan for for two centuries. And so she was always going to be accepted. She would always knew that, In America, she belonged, and not just America, in the upper, upper class of the East Coast. Jenny, in contrast, her family was new money. Her parents actually had fairly humble beginnings by uh, Manhattan standards, but nonetheless, they came from comfortable middle-class backgrounds, but they were much too vulgar, in the view of the um, people like the Delanos and too inclined to show off their wealth. Leonard Jerome, Jenny's father, built the most splendid five-story mansion on Madison Avenue, which had a three-story stable right next to it. And he had his own little uh, theater on top of the stable in which his protégés, who uh, young women who he took a deep interest in, uh, could uh, practice their arias. He loved music, and so <clears throat> Clara Jerome knew that her daughter would not be acceptable in the right circles in uh, Paris, in, in Wash, in sorry, in New York, which is why she went off to Paris with them.
0: Hmm. That makes a lot of sense, really. If you have the option to go to Paris, if New York is going to be a challenge. Go for it, I suppose. Um, When I was reading this, I, of course, wondered coming in kind of, well, how big a deal is it that one of them becomes a Churchill and one of them becomes a Roosevelt? Like, How much did those two marriages kind of shape their lives? And perhaps unsurprisingly, they really did have quite an impact, um, especially kind of early on. And yet, reading your book and reading about kind of them meeting their respective spouses and the process of getting married wasn't quite what I expected. Why did Jenny want to marry Lord Randolph Churchill? Why did Sarah want to marry James Roosevelt? Neither of them quite sound like the most shiny
1: prospect. That's absolutely right. In fact, what's interesting is that both girls shocked their parents with their choice of spouses. Um, And there was a surprise. (coughs) Jenny met uh, Lord Randolph Churchill in the Isle of Wight when she was spending the summer there with her family. They'd had to leave Paris because of the uh, Franco-Prussian War. And uh, she immediately had plunged into the sort of delicious yacht club society there. She met this young man who smoked um, 40 cigarettes a day. He had poppy eyes and was known to be wildly witty, but also rather rude and sarcastic. And he was the second son of the Duke of Marlborough. And they announced their engagement to Jenny's mother within three days of their meeting. And Jenny's mother was absolutely shocked, first of all, because Jenny's older sister still wasn't married and it was usual that the girls would get married the oldest first. And secondly, because it was so sudden and Jenny was so young, she was only 20, but it was a love match and the young couple sort of overcame all the opposition, not least from the Duke of Marlborough. Randolph was his second son, who was shocked that his son was intending to marry an American. Americans were not looked upon with great uh, favor in those days, and particularly because the only reason that anybody would marry an American in the Duke of Marlborough's eyes was if they brought a huge dowry with them. And, uh, the, of course, Blenheim Palace, which is where the Marlboroughs live, was in dire need of uh, some spending on its upkeep. Jenny didn't have that kind of diary, so there was a lot of opposition there. But as I said, the, uh, the marriage went ahead because the two young lovers were so adamant. Similarly with Sarah, it looked like she was sort of heading for a gracious spinsterhood in the Hudson Valley, living very, very comfortably with her wealthy parents and looking after them and being a wonderful art to aunt to lots of nephews and nieces, <clears throat> instead of which she announced or she she became interested in their neighbor who was in the Hudson Valley, a widower who was twice her age. She was 26 at the time. James Roosevelt, who she met at a select little dinner party in Manhattan. And when James Roosevelt came calling to ask um, the Delano's for their daughter's hand in marriage. Uh, in fact, her Sarah's father thought, couldn't believe this was happening. He thought, uh, James Roosevelt had come to visit him because they were the same generation, the same age. But in fact, there, there was much less opposition to, to the wedding because in this case, Sarah was just going to move a few miles up the Hudson Valley and, um, Live with somebody very much from the right side of the the uh, rails, and so she was. Hers was a less. The only thing that was really shocking about Sarah's wedding was how much older the the groom was. Nonetheless, the girls made their own choices. They did not uh, wait for their parents to put the right suitor in front of them.
0: Hmm, which is not traditional right for that time and place um even with the kind of varied levels of outrage each of them um had to kind of overcome still not exactly the norm if we then extend to the kind of next phase of each of them because again the timing is really quite distinct here um how did they each approach motherhood to what extent in that sense, were they also sort of pushing back against these norms and expectations or more in line with kind of what everyone else of their class and time did on this front?
1: Well, Jenny's son, elder son, Winston, was born only seven week, seven months after the, <coughs> the wedding. And she was still very young. She was still only 20. And so she... Both by inclination and also by custom, she didn't spend a lot of time with Winston when he was a small boy. She did what many of her circles and the sort of aristocratic uh, folk in those days did, which was to uh, farm him out, found him a good nanny, um, left him to the care of Mrs. Everest, the nanny, plus various servants, and continued with her very sociable life in London. She's been since reproached for being a terrible mother. She wasn't doing anything that, in fact, uh, other women in her circles didn't do, where nannies were the norm up until the uh, the age of about eight, and then little boys were sent off to boarding school. That's exactly what happened to Winston Churchill. So it turned out that the first boarding school he was sent to was actually a really horrible place, like something out of Dickens with uh, a very sadistic headmaster, but uh, many young children from um, noble households attended this school. So it, she wasn't, as I said, doing anything unusual. It was Sarah who proved to be much more unusual because Sarah was had a very difficult birth when Franklin was born. She was in labor for a long time. When he the baby finally emerged, 10 pounds, uh, he was blue and looked um, very weak. Uh, and she w- he was revived, luckily, but um, she was told that in fact, she should never have another baby. From that moment onwards, she just focused all her attention on uh, Franklin. She sacked the nanny that her husband had found to look after this child. And she nursed him, she breastfed him till he was a year old, which was very unconventional at the time. Jenny had never breastfed Winston. And she was determined that she would look after every minute of his day. And this was the unconventional behavior because uh, she would barely let him sort of leave his infancy. She wept when she cut off his baby curls. He was five. She kept him back from the posh boarding school where he was meant to go to Groton. And she stayed very, very close to him in a way that, Others commented on it at the time. Hmm. So
0: interesting there that Jenny is more um, unusual in terms of marriage, but then conventional in terms of motherhood. Sarah, the other way around. Again, this is, I think, why the comparison, the double biography is so fascinating in this case. Um, And there's another kind of big milestone that they experience similarly. It might seem like we're rushing to talk about the situations they were in when they were widowed, but in fact... They were both not that old when they were widowed. It wasn't the end of their lives at all. What was the situation that they were in when they were widowed? kind of what were the questions they had to grapple with at that point?
1: I found it fascinating actually that uh, both women really showed um, after both uh, after the grief of losing their husbands, the upside of widowhood in a society where women had very few rights because as widows, they had more rights because they could own property and uh, were considered sort of out in the world than they they would have if they had never been married. But their marriages actually had gone in different directions. Jenny's marriage was not uh, the happily ever after dream that it looked like it might be with the great love match because Lord Randolph Churchill was a really difficult man and he was ill. They thought at the time it was syphilis. It could have been a brain tumor, but it was certainly something which uh, gradually eroded his health and his spirits and his brain. And he became really a horror to live with. And he, Jenny stayed loyal to him, not faithful. Jenny had several affairs, but so did he. And he was constantly sort of very, very cruel to her and wrote terrible letters to his son, Winston. So when she was widowed, she actually was freed of the burden of looking after a very difficult husband and could focus on Winston. What she didn't have, however, was money because um, she she and Randolph had been wildly extravagant. They were always sort of lurching from financial crisis to financial crisis. And she was left with what many people at the time would have thought was a perfectly adequate income of several hundred thousand pounds a year, but at the time and with her spending habits, she ran through it and was soon at the money lenders. It was a very difficult situation for her. But it did mean that at this point she could focus on Winston and what was happening to him and also make a few, take a few initiatives herself and sort of spread her wings and try different activities. In, in contrast, Sarah, grief struck when James dies. And Franklin is about the same age, sort of nearing 20, when his father dies, as Winston had been. Um, but now, of course, Sarah, she is has never had to worry about money and certainly doesn't have to now. So she has all of... All the funds in the world to do exactly what she wants. And what she wants to do is look after her darling Franklin, my boy, as she always calls him, um, ensure that he has a sort of smooth progression into law school. She was hoping he'd, she saw his future as being uh, a, a lawyer and then a perfect country gentleman like his father in the Hudson Valley. Um, and she never, ever as far as I can see, had another suitor. She remained a widow for the rest of her life, a very wealthy, very attractive widow. Whereas Jenny, who was always used to having a man around to in supposedly to pay the bills, she did not uh, really feel comfortable single. And she would go on to have two more marriages, both to men the same age as her son, Winston. So while Sarah had married a man twice her age jenny would marry for her second and third husbands men who were half her age again
0: quite a difference and a really illuminating one this is i think a good place to point listeners to the book itself for so much of the detail of this that we're almost we're just really doing the highlights tour of because i i found the commentary in the book that goes into detail about this a kind of How did society respond and what was the norm and to what extent were they in line with that, Um, really illuminating not just of their lives, but kind of of the time period more broadly, um, which was quite helpful. But I'd like to stay on this point of their relationships with their sons, because now that we've sort of, in some senses, gotten the husbands out of the picture, (laughs) um, the sons really continue to dominate both of their lives. um, But as you've already described to us, the kind of different relationships they have with them in their childhood continue to kind of develop in different ways as the two boys become men. And I was interested that you talked about in the book that you consider Sarah's relationship with her son Franklin to be perhaps more complicated than Jenny's with her son Winston, given the Dickensian description of the school that Winston got sent off to, um, that Jenny was not hugely involved day-to-day in his childhood, and Sarah was, maybe we'd expect to kind of think about it the other way around, that Jenny and Winston's relationship was the more complicated one. Why do you think it's Sarah and Franklin's?
1: Sarah and Franklin come from this sort of very, um, self-disciplined, uh, tight-lipped society where they would never sort of act out their, their, um, deep, intense feelings. They, um, for example, when, in fact, Franklin tells Sarah <coughs> that he's got engaged to Eleanor Roosevelt, his cousin, and Sarah is shocked and quite disappointed because she thought she was going to have a comfortable life in Manhattan with her son. He's, um, she, is, she simply says to him that he, must, <coughs> he, he cannot announce his engagement. And <laughs> she simply says that they... Must keep it quiet. He can't announce it to anybody. And that um, anyway, it's quite impossible for him to get married for a year. And then this is sort of just a sidebar to a big family party that's going on. And then they both rejoin the party as though nothing has happened, although they've had this very intense mother son relationship. Their whole relationship is characterized by Franklin trying to keep his mother, who he does adore and on whom he's entirely reliant for money at arm's length, so she doesn't get too intrusive into his private life and certainly never really sees what's going on inside him. Whereas Sarah always wants to keep him very close to ensure that he's uh, sort of protected from the outside world to make sure that he's never tempted into any uh, nefarious activities. Um, And because she has a stepson who... um, had come to a very bad end in Manhattan, in the sort of seedy joints of Manhattan. And he'd married a hooker there. And that was just so horrifying to the whole Roosevelt family that Sarah worried that uh, her young son might be prey to the same temptations. He never was, but he, he the, the Sarah's instinct to protect, but also to keep up a facade of perfect behavior was so strong and Her son inherited this so that their relationship was complicated because at the same time she would say things like, oh, of course I won't be lonely if you go off with your friends on a cruise. Of course, uh, you know, you you must have a little fun. But uh, then she would send him these letters telling him how she was wept as she waved goodbye and how lonely she was. The relationship between Jenny and Winston was just a much more open one when they were mad at each other they were mad at each other and they said so they wrote letters to each other <clears throat> either boosting each other's morale or um sort of being incredibly pro- uh, reproachful but uh, they didn't hide their emotions and in fact once lord randolph has died and jenny can actually focus on winston and help him in his career, which she's very keen to do. It's a kind of evolution almost from mother son to brother sister. They're almost comrades in arms as they share this joint project, which is uh, Winston's career success. And Jenny is busy doing things like she has a wonderful network of uh, everybody in government and in the armed forces and in the media world, and she's always pulling strings to try and uh, promote her son's interests and career prospects. She gives little dinner parties uh, and invites important people so that uh, Winston can impress them. In fact, Winston says about her, she left no stone unturned, no cutlet ungrilled, because uh, she worked very hard to ensure his success. <clears throat> and then at the same time, she is str- struggling to stay afloat financially. And so she starts various initiatives, including, first of all, a literary review, and then she writes a memoir. And he advises her sort of editorially on what she should be doing. So it's it's a very comradely relationship and a very um, uninhibited one compared to the uh, Roosevelt relationship.
0: And of course, these relationships are not happening in a vacuum. Um, Not only do we now know loads about FDR and Winston Churchill, um, but there's a ton of things going on here, right? I mean, for one thing, we're talking about the transition from the 19th to the 20th centuries. We're talking about empire changing. We're talking about globalization changing. We're talking about all sorts of things. How did Jenny and Sarah respond to kind of all of this shifting around them?
1: It's interesting. Both women, um, as I mentioned, had come from these very traditional backgrounds, uh, although very different in terms of the sort of financial comfort. Um, Sarah continued to represent very traditional values. She really didn't share her son's more progressive tendencies once he got into politics. She um, felt that sort of The duty of the wealthy of America was sort of noblesse oblige that uh, people should look after their own and uh, ensure that communities functioned happily. But she was not a big believer in government uh, taking initiatives. Similarly, Jenny uh, also sort of had started with very traditional political beliefs and was quite shocked when Winston, who had started his political career very young launched himself from the Conservative into the Liberal Party and started talking about social reform, which included um, attacks on the wealth of all her friends who were landowners. But she moved into the 20th century very happily. She loved the sort of slow erosion of the restrictions on women. But yet both women really resisted the idea that women should have votes and should take public office Neither of them was prepared to endorse campaigns for women's suffrage until their sons, who by now were both active politicians, realized that if they were going to win votes, they were going to have to um, endorse the idea of votes for women and female suffrage. And so the mothers reluctantly went along with it, although they both found the tactics of suffragettes, particularly in Britain where they were the, the suffrage. Uh, Activists were so uh, aggressive in their demands and at one point, in fact, disrupted Winston Churchill's campaign meeting by screaming at him. Uh, Both women found those tactics very distasteful.
0: I found that perhaps one of the more surprising things I learned from the book was Sarah's sort of whole response to Franklin's wish to go into politics and how she viewed all of those things, which is really quite interesting. Sarah um,
1: Sarah really thought politics was corrupt. And, of course, New York politics were corrupt. It was the Tammany yeah, Hall era. Yes, exactly. Um, and, they, uh, and she felt that, you know, he would get... Uh, um, Stay, he would be besmirched if he mixed with the, that kind of activity. But of course, Franklin's distant cousin, Teddy Roosevelt, had been <coughs> a Republican president. And Teddy and Teddy Roosevelt became something of a, an idol to Franklin, although Franklin was a Democrat. At one point early in his career, in fact, Franklin started aping his uncle's um, or his cousin's habits, using the same kind of expressions as him and using a monocle and trying to, and he definitely traced out his career path that he wanted to take because it was the same career, um, first of all, in New York state politics, then as a bureaucrat in Washington and then as a, a practicing politician and run, running for the presidency, uh, he, he mapped that out because it was exactly the same path that uh, Teddy Roosevelt had taken. But Sarah took a while to get used to the idea that her beloved son was plunging into politics because she thought it was uh, corrupt. Once he did, however, if there was one thing about Sarah, she could pivot. If whatever Franklin wanted, she was gonna make sure that he didn't fail so she actually underwrote all his campaigns and subsidised his period in the White House.
0: So going back to the kind of earlier relationship, right, supporting him, um, even if in this case she was sceptical of what he was up to.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yes, she 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 really um, felt that once... Once once he'd gone into politics, she liked to describe him as a statesman rather than as a politician. Mm,
0: She never really
1: lost her distrust of politics. Jenny was a complete contrast here because Lord Randolph Churchill had been a politician. In fact, at one point he'd been tipped to be prime minister of Britain, a prospect that she found utterly glorious. She loved the idea of standing next to him, you know, as the sort of apex of the power pyramid that was the British Empire. And she was horrified when, in fact, he abruptly walked away from politics. And she was then determined that, in fact, his son Winston <clears throat> should, um, should sort of inherit the mantle and gave him every support she could. And he, he plunged into politics very early. I mean, he was uh, in his 30s when he was first elected.
0: And she was very much behind him, I understood from the book. Um, yes, and as you she, said about the him money, which the... Would, have,
1: would have made a big difference. As she never had any enough money, but she could certainly give him, put, put a spotlight on him in all the right places.
0: <clears throat> and yet, that unfortunately um, was not something that was able to continue, um, as Jenny did not live as long as Sarah. Um, and they had very different deaths, very different ends of their lives, even before their deaths. Um, in fact, you call it a startling contrast, which, having read the book, I definitely agree with that characterization. Would you mind telling us about this contrast?
1: Jenny, <clears throat> Jenny's End was a tragedy. She was only 67. She um, had What happened was she bought a wonderfully fashionable pair of sandals when she was on holiday in Rome. She went to stay with some friends in a British, English country house, fell down the stairs, broke her ankle, and the wound went uh, septic and gangrene set in. So age 67, in her own house, uh, a surgeon arrived and cut off her leg below the knee. Being Jenny, she made the best of it. She said, well, I'll just have to put my best foot forward. But in fact, the wound did not heal. And she suddenly there was a hemorrhage and she went into a coma. It was a complete shock. And Winston Churchill, who at this point had a senior role in the government, was called and ran through the streets of London in his pyjamas weeping because he wanted to see her before she died. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to. And her death was on all the newspaper hoardings uh, all over London because she was such a... Um, colorful and well-known figure, <clears throat> widely admired and always I mean she was an influencer before the term had begun and but it was so so tragic and so she of course never saw either her husband or her son become prime minister. And it, in fact it would be 20 years before Winston Churchill finally was the did become the prime Minister of Britain. <clears throat> Sarah, in contrast, Lived for twenty until 1941, um, until she was in her late eighties, and when her son had already won three presidential elections altogether, he would run win four. But she had stayed very close to Franklin and to his family, and to Eleanor, with whom he had she had a rather difficult relationship, um, and she had kept her house Springwood in the Hudson Valley. In a little place called Hyde Park, as the um, sort of the retreat that Franklin loved to go to when he was sort of needed a rest from the hurly burly of Washington, he would always go and stay with his mother in uh, Springwood. It became known as the Northern White House, and she, in fact, had assumed a public role she never expected when he was first elected president. In 1932, at his inauguration, it wasn't him on the cover of Time magazine, it was his mother, Sarah, and she became the American matriarch. <clears throat> she was actually served a very useful purpose for Franklin Roosevelt because many of his own party, many Democrats, thought that Roosevelt's policies, particularly in the New Deal, were too government intrusive, too, too um, big spending, and uh, represented gasp what Americans always find very difficult socialism but his mother Sarah stood for all the old values and reassured many members of his party that uh, in fact these were just temporary policies and uh, that um, he was not <clears throat> he was not a wild-eyed red as they feared he might be. So she played a very interesting role during his presidency. But, of course, she gradually, she was getting old. And then in 1941, just after Franklin Roosevelt and Churchill, Winston Churchill had met at uh, one of their first great wartime meetings, um, this was in uh, Argentia Bay in Newfoundland, um, he rushed back to Hyde Park, to Springwood, because she was dying. And he sat with her for 24 hours (coughs) and while she just quietly slipped into a coma. And he was devastated by her death. A few days later, he was going through her effects and opened a um, box in which he discovered that she'd kept so many mementos of his childhood, his first pair of shoes, a lock of his his childhood hair. And one of the staff members who was with him wrote later that... uh, At that point, he turned around and said to her, could you leave me for a few minutes, please? And she said he had tears in his eyes. And it was the first time that any member of his staff had ever seen him emotionally touched in that way. Usually, like his mother, he would kept his emotions well under control. But on this occasion, he couldn't.
0: So that was something I found really interesting, that both men, Franklin and Winston, talked about the impact that their mothers had on them. Um, And clearly from those stories were incredibly impacted by their deaths. And yet that's not really how either woman was remembered um, immediately after the fact or kind of in subsequent decades. How were they remembered and how has this changed over time?
1: Both women actually had, uh, it's been a f- funny voyage for them uh, in the afterlife because when Jenny died, um, she was a sort of popular figure, but she was always regarded as, um, you know, too too fast, too colourful. <clears throat> and there were plenty of men who, because <clears throat> she was very lively and had affairs, there were plenty of men men who were very happy to denigrate her for that reason. And she tended to be remembered that way. Then, slowly, though, there's been a sort of a refocus on her, looking at all the positive things she did. I'd mentioned the literary journal. She also outfitted a ship to go out to the Boer War, a hospital ship, and went with it. She took various initiatives, and she showed a kind of joie de vivre, which now we regard as refreshing, rather than outrageous, and so her her reputation, it has improved, but nonetheless, you know, she's been sort of, rather sort of marketed it as being a bit too flash, a bit too colorful. Sarah, in contrast, who died, in fact, only four years before her own son, Franklin died in 45, she was her any kind of sort of memory of her became overwhelmed by what Eleanor wrote about her and then subsequent biographers. Eleanor found her far too um, busy keeping tabs on Franklin. Eleanor resented her terribly, although Eleanor had depended on her enormously in the early years of the Roosevelt marriage, Franklin and Eleanor. Uh, But then she became rather sort of, angry at her mother-in-law. And Eleanor wrote three memoirs in, in each decade after Sarah's death, and each was more critical of Sarah. And the male biographers of Franklin Roosevelt have tended to take on Eleanor's point of view, instead of saying Eleanor would never even been able to cope as a young wife, having a lot of children, having no idea how to Manage a home, having had a wretched childhood herself, incredibly awkward, uh, uncertain how to behave. Her mother in law swooped in and helped her, looked after her, showed her how things should be done, helped raise the children. And then when Eleanor found her feet and was busy sort of developing her own interests and her own career as an advocate for the underprivileged, it was Sarah who often sort of held all the family together all of that was forgotten and uh, sarah now is just seen as you know the smothering mother the helicopter mother who uh, wouldn't let her son alone and so both women have had a bad rap from biographers and which really doesn't gel with how both sons remembered their mothers in fact winston churchill had a bronze cast of his mother's hand made and it was on his desk throughout the rest of his career Similarly, Franklin Roosevelt had a picture of his mother, which was the most prominent picture in the White House after her death. The photograph uh, in in the the presidential office, uh, the one that was most obvious was the one of his mother. So both men did acknowledge the incredible influence of their mothers. But uh, since then, um, their influence has been minimized.
0: Well until you've revived them in this book. Um, And I think that that speaks brilliantly to the contribution that this is making um, and kind of brings us neatly to the end, really, of the book and the interview. But before I let you go, um, I'm wondering if given kind of the, the number of biographies you've written, the masterful job you've done in this one with the double biography, might you have your eye on a future subject or something else you might be working on next?
1: I definitely have. I'm intrigued at the way that people reinvent themselves. They switch from one identity to another. And so I'm thinking of a book where I choose six to eight individuals who used the opportunity of changed circumstances or cross in some cases crossing the Atlantic uh, to become another person and uh, to reinvent their lives and not feel bound by the um, the jet- genetic pool into which they were born.
0: Huh. Well, that sounds very intriguing. Best of luck with that project. Thank and you. While, and while you flesh it out, of course, um, listeners can read the book we've been discussing, titled Passionate Mothers, Powerful Sons, The Lives of Jenny Jerome Churchill and Sarah Delano Roosevelt. Charlotte, thank you so much for sharing your time and expertise with us on the podcast.
1: It's been my pleasure.